taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, welcome aboard, everyone. We've been praying for you. And we want to just say thank you. Thank you for listening in. Uh, thank you for the engagement and the times that we get to uh, visit and talk to people about this stuff. It's just been a, a blessing from the Lord, and the Lord has been uh, walking with us in this. We just thank you. that. Uh, thank you for the listeners, and thank you for the people engaging. Uh, these times that we live in right now or that we're going through right now are creating a longing in our lives uh, to find a solid base in our walk with the Lord. And, and we just, we pray here at Bellator Christi that that's going to be the base is that we keep bringing you back to a biblical base that you can uh, springboard from and be able to live life through. Well, let's go ahead and welcome aboard Brian Chilton. Hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> doing good. Doing good. Yep. So we got a we got a good one coming up here uh, this, this week, and it's going to be a, a quite a bit of I think it's going to be a little long series, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like it. Uh, we, I've had a uh, series on my mind for quite some time, and it's been on a message that Jesus uh, taught that it has been quite controversial in many places. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, uh, not getting into politics, and I really appreciate what you said earlier about us trying to keep a biblical focus, and I think that is so very important in these times in which we live. But, you know, I heard someone was talking about, you know, making a political statement, said that we've got to throw the Sermon of the Mount out when we talk about different issues. And I wholeheartedly reject that that position because what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is very important ethical teaching that Jesus gives mm-hmm. us about kingdom living. Uh, it's something that we need to really go back to. But but it seems to be controversial but maybe it's supposed to be because Jesus was kind of a controversial guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So we got uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and on the notes here, it says the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount are Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and 7, uh, 24 through 29. Do we want to go ahead and read those? Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, I'll go ahead and take, and you said chapter 5, what was verses uh, 1 through... One, 1 through 12. 1 through 12. I'll go ahead and take that if you want to take the second section. Sure. And yeah. and we call these bookends because what we find in the first section gives us a summary of the entire message that Jesus gives. And then the, and then the summary, the, the, uh, the second bookend and the two foundations we find at the end of the message, Jesus gives a conclusion that wraps up the entirety of of the message. Uh, and so let me just first of all read uh, verses, you said 1 through 12? Is that what we said? Yeah, 1 mm-hmm. through 12. Okay. So reading from the Christian Standard Bible, Matthew chapter 5 says, When he, Jesus, sat down, uh, saw the crowds, excuse me, he went up on the mountain. Now that's very important to note because uh, Matthew is doing something here we'll talk about in a few moments, uh, a picture that he is painting. A portrait he's painting here. So Jesus goes up on the mountain, and after he sat down, which was a position of a teacher in ancient times, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, these are the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right. And this on the end of it, on in Matthew 7, uh, verse 24 uh, through 29, um, he, he caps it with something that always catches my eyes. Every time I read it in the scriptures, it says, everyone that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built a house on the rock. But if you listen, he says, everyone who hears. So he, he always he always references that he who hears, let him hear. And this is, along with that, this is a reference, you know, to that. Uh, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was that fall. Mm. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Well, that's telling. So, yeah. So, yeah. And like you said, you know, um, that's a position of a teacher. But we also see that we also see that as uh, authority. Um, you know, in in kingdom in a kingdom principle, when 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 Jesus sits down, he, it's it is finished. It's done. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Interesting how we can bring those two together. So. We got uh, the first question here then, Brian. Um, I'm just going to start out with this one. Um, what is the Sermon on the Mount? So let's dig a little deeper into that, kind of give a, a framework of what we're actually what we're actually going through here, what we're actually seeing. So the Sermon on the Mount is, is basically Jesus' ethical teaching uh, indicating what kingdom living is all about. There's there's something going on in the text, and this kind of maybe goes along in with the second question about the background. We we need to put this in context and also think about what Matthew is doing. So l let me first of all introduce the different gospels. So Matthew was written by Matthew the apostle, and and we hold the traditional viewpoint here at Bellator Christi. Right. Um, Correct. Matthew the apostle wrote the the first book. Um, so Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. So he's presenting Jesus as the new Moses. He's presenting Jesus as the Messianic King, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Mark is writing to a Romans, uh, Roman audience, so he's very fast-paced. Uh, he he uh, doesn't get it too entrenched with the details, but he's, he's not even necessarily exactly in chronological order with everything he presents. But he's just right. giving out the details in a fast-paced environment, uh, showing Jesus as the servant, the, the servant, a suffering servant. And then Luke is writing to a more sophisticated audience. He's writing to the, the Greek intellectual grouping of his time. He writes a more... Um, he writes a history, a history, a biography of Jesus. So he's the most chronological of the Gospels. He arranges the messages of Jesus along with the events of his life. And then John is the most theological of the four Gospels. He's writing to a second generation uh, Christians. He's he's not only giving the teachings of Jesus and the the life of Jesus, but he's also interpreting these things under the lens of the training of Christ. So he's mm -hmm. not doing this simply because it's a, his opinion. He's doing this after years of being trained by Jesus himself and presenting the interpretation given to him by Jesus himself. So John's the theological. So what you're saying so so what you're saying is is. Uh... Uh, one was was uh, trying to share the gospels in a in a McDonald's drive-in. The other one was trying to <laughs> try, 
trying to share it at in court, and the other one was trying to teach it at the university. Yeah, and and John, he's he's writing a, basically a theological book for a uh, theological primer for for future generation Christians. So yeah. yeah, I think you're absolutely, and I do think you're right. I think it's a great way of putting it that Mark is he's presenting a, a McDonald's drive drive through version of the gospel. He's giving just the facts and details, and um, I like that illustration. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Matthew being the one defending it, you know, in court, so to speak, or, or presenting it as Jesus as the new, the new, uh, the new Moses. We see that if you go back into chapter four, Jesus teaches all over Galilee in verse twenty-three. Uh, he's teaching in the synagogues. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. He's healing every disease and sickness among the people. Uh, the news about Jesus spreads through Syria. It's uh, they brought to him all who were afflicted, uh, the, the, the those suffering from diseases, intense pains, demon possessed, epileptics, and paralytics. He healed them all. Large crowds followed him from Galilee into Capolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Jordan. So you have all these people, and they come into Jesus. So. Okay, now put this, this is a new Exodus motif, and you see this a lot of times in the New Testament. There's a connection with the Old Test, from the Old Testament with the New. So just as God had Moses go up on Mount Sinai, remember this image, right. he gives the law, writes it on tablets of stone, gives it to Moses. Moses comes down the mountain, he's mm-hmm. proclaiming the law of God to the people, mm-hmm. the Old Covenant. Mm-hmm. Jesus sees the crowd, goes up a mountain, sits down in a position of authority, and gives the new covenant living, what what it means to live in the new covenant of God. So Jesus here is the new Moses, giving this new standard, interpreting the law, uh, but presenting in the law uh, God's standards for uh, humanity. In fact, he's he's even going to go into... Certain issues we're going to talk about, the divorce. Jesus is going to interpret what God's intention was behind that whole permission to begin mm-hmm. with because there were some, some discrepancies among the, the Jewish uh, right. schools of thought during that time. He's giving right. a divine perspective on the meaning behind these different commandments as the new Moses uh, in, at this hillside. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's... That's a that's a good illustration to see and to kind of I guess lay the groundwork of where we're going to go with this. So, so number two, uh, what is the background behind the message, uh, the Beatitudes uh, five through uh, Beatitudes five one through twelve? So with the Beatitudes, Jesus is using a term. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, I was wrong, wrong thing. He uses a term called makarios. Uh, I'm not sure what the Aramaic equivalent of that is, but uh, makarios is the Greek term used. It's used some 50 times in the New Testament. It's used 13 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, makarios occurs 30 times in the Gospels altogether, but uh, all but two on the lips of Jesus. So you, Jesus uses this a lot. Uh, the Old Testament Hebrew term is Ashrei, uh, stands behind this this usage of Makarios, and they they mean to be blessed or happy. So so what Jesus is telling us in the Beatitudes is what it means to have a blessed life, and it's interesting because mm-hmm. the opposite of Makarios is the term woe, which means uai. It's the status of one who is not approved of God. So here again is an interesting th- thing we see. Now remember in do you remember the book of Deuteronomy? The book of Deuteronomy gives two different right. things. Yeah, we're on one on one side of the mountain or the other, right? Yeah, blessings or curses. So think about right. it this way. Jesus is saying to live a blessed life is to, to be a Makarios Christian. Mm-hmm. To to live a, a woeful life is to be a carnal uai individual. So to have the blessing of God means that certain things are going to happen to you. But we also see that God's blessing, this comes from Matthew 19, Luke 6, 
Um, also, let's see what was it? Matthew nineteen twenty three through twenty four, Luke six twenty four, and Luke sixteen nineteen through thirty one tells us that God's blessing does not necessarily always include material prosperity in this life. The contrary mm-hmm. is actually quite possible. We see in Luke chapter six verse twenty, but it does anticipate a full, unter- uninterrupted prosperity in the future kingdom. So the question we have to ask ourselves as we're going through this, and this is a question we as modern Christians absolutely must ask ourselves, is what are we living for? Or whom are we living for? And that's the question, that's the quintessential question that we have to ask ourselves as we go through these um, Beatitudes. So let's just look through the Beatitudes once again. Um, Jesus says, Macario. So this is going to fly right fly right in the face of some of these uh, this prosperity gospel that we read or hear of. Absolutely. The prosperity gospel does not stand a chance in the teaching of Jesus. It, it really right. doesn't. Right. Uh, and that's not that God doesn't want to bless us with material prosperity. I think He does. Uh, but we've got to ask ourselves the question, as Jesus does, uh, mm-hmm. where, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if mm. your treasure is found in only material things, are you really living for the Lord? Is your right. heart really sold yeah, out? He never says that it's. Yeah, he never says that it's. It's a bad thing to have materials and material things. He well, just sure. says, "What what is the idol in your heart? Where where am I at in this? Essentially, you know, am I first in your life? Am I first? And then therefore, those things that are in your life then get used to help point people to Him." throughout your life. Yeah, and I think Jesus is picking up on a theme that we find in Isaiah and also in the book of Ezekiel that really there are two great commandments that we find. Jesus tells us what they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength from Deuteronomy mm-hmm. chapter 6. To love your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus chapter, was it 19, I think? 14, 19. I think it's 14. Um, but those are the two great commandments. Think about what happens to a, a, a church a person, a culture, a society, when those two commandments are not heeded. Um, mm-hmm. The absence of the first commandment, to not love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, leads to idolatry. Right. To not love your neighbor as yourself leads to corruption. So any culture or society... <laughs> sounds like today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's why I think this message is so very important. Because any culture, church, society, or whatever the case may be, you can continue on, that becomes idolatrous and corrupt, is there, whatever that is, it's not following the two great commandments. Hmm. Important. Yeah. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. So just you want to go through the Beatitudes then? Yeah. I mean, so just, just think about this. Having the blessing of God, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit, he says. So this has the notion of, um, let's see here, where is it? Um, So in the Old Testament, I'm reading from a note here, the poor were those who cried out for God's help, depended entirely on Him for their needs, had a humble and contrite spirit, experienced His deliverance, and enjoyed His undeserved favor. Jesus was describing his disciples as unworthy sinners who depend on God's grace for salvation. Okay, so he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit who depend on God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's not saying blessed are we when we are high and mighty. Blessed are we when we are dependent upon God. Right. So he goes also to say, Makarios, or blessed are those who mourn. Okay, you know, mourn, mourning for, you know, um, being brokenhearted, you know, maybe mourning for one's nation, mourning for mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, grief, uh, suffering mm-hmm. for whatever the case is. If a person has a repentant heart, though, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted if you, if you live as a repentant person. Blessed are the humble. Boy, do we ever need to hear this. Yeah. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Here's the amazing thing, that when Christ returns, the Word of God says that we're going to rule and reign with Him 
We even have, we're going to rule over angels in the kingdom of God, it says. So, but it doesn't come from being haughty and dependent upon what we can do. It comes from a humility that comes from a dependence on God. Right. Then he goes also. And then he goes also to say in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, individuals who, who desire to live a holy life, individuals who desire to um, see righteousness be done. Uh, these are metaphors for a disciple's fervent desire for righteousness. And he says that uh, because of that, uh, they will be filled, not because of their efforts, but because of what God has done for them. Verse 7. Now again, remember, this is also summarizing the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Hmm. <laughs> but we could have a yeah, feeling on that one. King James says, uh, uh, they shall obtain mercy. So that's that's so you get a shown or obtain. That, that's, that gives a telling of what that verse actually means. Yeah, and uh, give me just a second here and pull up the uh, the Greek text. Um, so the word shown is the word, it comes from the word elios. Um, it, it is a, um, it's an emotion roused by uh, contact with the affliction. Let's see, wait a minute. Uh, set one here. They will be shown mercy. Um, well, hold on a second. Let me pull this up. To be merciful towards, to have mercy on, to show kindness or concern for someone, uh, for some serious need. So God basically shows or gives mercy to those who, who show mercy. And I think there's the part of that comes. It's not a work-based salvation. He's talking about the fact that we're dependent on the mercy and grace of God. It changes us. So if we're dependent upon His mercy, mm-hmm. then we're going to want to show mercy to other people right. because of what he has done for us. Right. He goes on to say in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, the word here, katharos, uh, 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 is the word used for pure in heart. It means uh, richly clean, pure, holy. Uh, for they shall see God, he says in verse 8. Oof, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and the words pure in heart refer to someone who has authentically who has is authentically righteous in the inner person. It is not a faked righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing we've got to remember. Jesus is going to show us in the Sermon on the Mount and in his teachings that when we do something kind for someone, we don't need to... That there are two reasons why we do something kind for someone. Either one, because we genuinely care about the person, or two, because we mm-hmm. want other people to think that we're caring about the person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Jesus is saying that fake righteousness is not righteousness at all. So pure yeah. in heart is someone who is authentically transformed, someone who authentically desires to live for the Lord. And he says such people yeah, so, will, will see God. So this, so this is this is more about inwardly what's happening inwardly at us, and and what God sees us as, rather than what we uh, pronounce to the world, so to speak. Exactly. Jesus says such things as whenever you fast. Don't go out like now the Pharisees had to practice in, the, in these times. Or those who wanted, not all Pharisees, uh, because not all Pharisees did this, but the self-righteous would go out and they mm-hmm. would fast, but they would let everybody know it. They would moan and groan, and they would, you know, they would do all of these different things, make themselves look horrible as they did that, and people would have pity on them and think, "Oh, what a righteous person!" Jesus says, "When you fast mm-hmm. and pray, clean yourself up and don't let anybody know about it." You know, just do it. You know, if when you go and do do something, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't broadcast the the, the good deeds that you do. He says because mm-hmm. because if you believe that God sees what we do, then we know that God is going to reward in the end. And so uh, that's a, something that we I believe many of uh, modern Christian movements, uh, modern Christian 
modern Christians, especially Christian leaders, need to remember. Right. Um, I can't right. tell you how many pastors' conferences I've been at where where it becomes a brag fest where we talk about how many uh, people we have in our churches. And you know, I mean, I know in one sense we want to brag on what God is doing, but it almost sometimes seems like we try to brag on what we've done. You know, <laughs> if we're honest mm-hmm. about it. And so that's something we've got to mm-hmm. take into consideration as well. And then he says, blessed, yeah. blessed are the peacemakers. Um, peacemakers is to uh, a person who restores peace between people. Uh, a peacemaker, one who works for peace. Curtis, what all can we say about this? <laughs> yeah, oofty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the wheelbarrow's very full on that one. How about that? <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, what's interesting is that at the end of this, it's blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, let's, I, mean, I don't want to, I don't want to sway away from our, from our, our point here, but what is he talking about there? Sons of God, yeah, probably means Jesus' authentic disciples emulate God by undertaking the ministry of reconciliation uh, so that at the final judgment they will be accepted as the sons and daughters of God. Now, some people, and Mike Heiser has written a book, uh, Unseen Realm, where he talks about uh, these these beings at the divine council uh, meetings. And so I I think that uh, you could look at this as possibly being individuals who have a high ranking in the kingdom of God. Now, here's something we have to remember here, too. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world. And that's something we've got to remember, too. His kingdom is not of this world. And he gives this play. uh, What is it? A paranomastia, I think, is what it's called. Uh, I may have mispronounced that. But it's these these puns he gives. And he, he shows these things where this, it's almost like the Twilight Zone. If you watch the Twilight Zone, how you see a story going and there's a twist <laughs> at the end. There's a word for that. I don't remember what the word is, but there's a word for that. And Jesus is the master of that. So you have like the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man has right. everything. Lazarus has nothing. And, but Lazarus has God. And at the end of it all, Lazarus ends up in the kingdom of God, ends up in paradise, at the right hand, at Abraham's bosom. Uh, he, he ends up in, in, this, in this heavenly place, and he is filled to the max. He has more than you can ever imagine. And the man who had a lot of wealth on this side has nothing in eternity. Uh, he's, he's found in a, a hellish place, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. So Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. He says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So those who have prominent names, who, who, who try to uplift themselves above other people, well, their righteousness may not be as high as a person humbly serving the Lord every single day who, who impacts right. people in a mighty way. So the person who seems to be last will actually be first in the kingdom of God. So there's this twist that we see, that things on this earth are not as they are going to be in the kingdom of God. Mm. Yeah, and that's what he's revealing through through these Beatitudes and, and, and what he's going to get into on this Sermon on the Mount. Absolutely. In verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, this is one of the weirdest ones, I think, of them all. Because he says, if you get persecuted for doing something good, you're blessed. Because he said, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he goes on Hmm. to say, uh, he adds on to this quite a bit. Uh, because he goes on to say that uh, blessed are you, or you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and say all kind of false things against you because of me. And he says that because when all this, you know, instead of mourning and pouting, he says, be glad and rejoice for your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, that's mm-hmm. not easy. <laughs> that's right. not the human, natural human response. Uh, at all, but Jesus says we're right. blessed when these things happen. And here again, that's that little twist that He gives in His messages that shows this upside-down kingdom. Right. It also kind of goes in it, it. So, like 
when when Rome was persecuting the Christians and and people were persecuting the Christians, they said, "What else? What can they, what can they do to these people? Because when they when they're when they're uh, believers, when their fellow believers die, they they actually they mourn differently than 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 the others. They they actually celebrate." And I honestly believe that this is the reason why Christianity is is held in great disdain by governmental movements that want to control the masses. Because what do you do with people who aren't afraid to die? Hmm. You know, because you know, if you can force people to do certain things, if you hold over their head, well, you better do this, or you're going to lose. You know, you're going to lose your well-being. You're going to lose this. You're going to do that. If you think this world is all there is. Then right. you're gonna be panic stricken, and you're gonna think, "Well, better, right. I better do this because this is all that I have. This is all that can ever happen to me." Right. But if you believe that there's something beyond this, then we don't take the things of the world as as seriously as maybe as we as the person who thinks that this world is all there is. And I think that's right. why where we as evangelical Christians have to have a serious gut check to ask ourselves what is the most prominent thing for us. Yeah. In this world, yeah. What are we living for? Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. Because Paul, Paul even states in there, you know, he says, "I for for me to for me to live is 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 for you, but for me to die, I get to be with God right now." Yeah, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. Yeah, so you yeah. we're a winner either way. You know, we we live on yeah. this earth. This earth is worth living. You know, God's made us here. He's given us a purpose, a reason. He's given us value, and yeah, we need to enjoy this life as best as we can. Mm-hmm. To live is Christ, but to die. If we could just get one small glimpse or one small taste of what awaits us in eternity, I don't think a lot of the things we worry about would hold much concern yeah. anymore. Yeah, you you see in the writings in Paul's writings there, he's like when when uh, I got, I went up to the third heaven, he says <laughs> I saw things that I can't even. It's it'd be unlawful for me to even say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So basically what he's saying is, I can't tell you. It's just ain't going to yeah. work. <laughs> well, and I think that in the book of Revelation, that's the reason why John uses so many metaphors as he does. Yeah. Because how do you describe... I mean, in writing this book, I'm still writing. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to ever finish this thing. But, uh, but writing this book on heaven, that's one of the things that's amazed me, is, is the possibility that heaven could have more colors than we have now. We could see more colors than we do now, and if that's the case, how do you describe that? I mean, yeah, I was just going to say, how do you describe that? Yeah, we actually were talking about that. A friend of mine and I were talking about that the other day. It's like, um, yeah, how do you describe, you know, you know, airplanes and jets and flying things in the air? You know, when all you're used to seeing is is chariots and boats. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. You have no way to describe what you see. And who knows if he's not even talking about a technology that we don't even know about now. Right. You know, exactly. Yep. And you know, in the new heaven and new earth, Hugh Ross even argues that there's going to be a new set of physics that exists in that, that life. Because everything in this world decays because you have the law of entropy that things continually right. degrade. So there must be some type of new physics that we have in the new heaven and new earth I tell you what, <laughs> Hugh Ross. Hugh Ross has a whole different kind of a brain. I don't. I, I listen to some of his stuff, and I'm like, man, I don't even know how you think of this stuff. But when he says it, and he breaks it down for you, man, does it make sense? I Absolutely. Mean, it's just like, oh wow. So yeah, there's some good good things there. So number three, the sermon begins with a series of beatitudes. What is a beatitude? So, yeah, so basically a beatitude is kind of like a be-attitude. Uh, it's the attitude we need to have is living as kingdom Christians, as kingdom believers. And it, as we as we just read, it, it's, it's telling us what it means to have a blessed life. And this blessed life, as we've already seen, is completely different than what many of us would believe would mean to be blessed. You know, because we have this rock star mentality even in a, the apologetic community today, that we think that well, the person who has the biggest and best and brightest name is the best. Well, that's not always necessarily true, you know, because you know the person who's out there humbly serving the Lord, they're every bit as important 
as that person who has the big flashy name. Right. Yeah, and you you do tend to see that, um, and it's unfortunate you see it in the apologetics world where where um, the only credibility comes if that endorsement of that big name is there. Exactly. You know? When there's gobloads of work being done by people that are just that are just amazing in in how they how they uh, can can decipher and dig through and 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 actually build encouragement in in Christianity, but yet they produce it in such a way that is tangible. Just I yeah. mean, really, it's kind of like how how we're doing the Bellator Christie podcast and with the with the website with the with the articles that go up. You know, my article, you know, about about what we see in creation or what we see is the constancies of uh, the consistencies of God. And when, when a, a seed is planted in the ground, we're not expecting it to be, you know, an apple seed when we've planted, you know, a, a grain of wheat or a grain of grain of oats, you know, we expect that thing to come up as that. And that's that co uh, consistency. And there's people out there in the apologetic world that have such a good foundational base that are, I, I feel just aren't getting the credit for what they're putting into i agree i agree wholeheartedly yeah. and, and i think i think the problem we have is that uh, we, we 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 become more about the fame and fortune we became more about the big name and lights than we do focusing on the fundamental doctrines of, of Christianity. And I think the same thing has happened in the political world. I think the same thing has happened in many different avenues we, even among Christianity, that we have focused so much on the big names, the bright lights, that we've lost what it means to be a humble servant of the Lord. You know, Curtis, one of the things that really blessed my life in pastoral ministry was seeing numerous individuals who serve the Lord, quiet and humbly, behind the scenes. I've, I have, in fact, one woman comes to my mind even now. I won't mention her name because <laughs> she'd be mad at me if I did. But I can't, on countless occasions, would notice that she came in when no one else was there except for me. And a lot of times, she didn't want me to know that she was there. But she would work quietly on things behind the scenes, get, getting things ready for the Sunday service getting things ready. She'd work on flowers, and she would do things around the church. No one else mm. knew that she did it. Um, mm. And I believe her reward's going to be great. You know, No, sure. she's not written books. No, she hasn't done all these different things that we account with greatness. But she d gave her very best for what she could do in the Lord, and I think God's yeah. going to bless her for that. Yeah. Yeah, we had, uh, we had a gal... Just a, a wonderful, wonderful lady there at at the church, and she was well into her eighties. And you know, if she met you once, your name was already in her prayer book. And if she met you, if she came in and and talked to you, you showed up the second time, the second week. You know, um, yeah, you were constantly on her prayer list. You know. <laughs> Uh, and and you just felt that presence. You know that she, you know, she come up to you and she said, you know, she'd say, "Well, in my prayers today, I was praying for you, and I, I just, I really, really pray that God has an encounter with you." And I mean, just encouraging, but also you didn't see that, you know, nobody else, you know, nobody else saw that, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you could say, prayer warrior in, in her, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was good. But you know, and when she passed away, um, we all just we all just kind of felt this um, this vacuum or this vacancy in the, in the church of when she was gone. So Amen. yeah, yeah. So I know we kind of already talked about it a little bit, but maybe we can dig a little deeper. Uh, what do the Beatitudes tell us about the kingdom living? Yeah. So this kind of goes back. You know, we're talking about the upside down kingdom. That that um, I think one of the, the the essential things we find in these beatitudes, you see, poor in spirit, those who mourn, blessed are the humble, thirst for righteousness, uh, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. All of this shows one essential feature in kingdom living, and that is an utter dependence on God. 
for the needs of life. Um, mm-hmm. to, to be a chosen person of God does not mean that necessarily we are grand and great because the Bible tells us that God often uses the weak and powerless to do a mighty work through them. Because think about it, if God used a Goliath to come and do a mighty work, people would say, well, he's just doing that of his own strength. Right, there you go, yeah. But if God chooses a David who is mm-hmm. small and in a bit unable to do these things by himself, and God does something through him, then God gets the glory for what's done. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, think kind of like uh, kind of like Gideon's army when when he yeah. takes him from from this large army that could have competed and could have done very very well to down to three hundred uh, they actually conquer and but but God gets the credit for it not Gideon yeah, absolutely Samson same yeah. way you know Samson's yeah you know, was his strength was in his hair but it really wasn't his hair that gave him power. It's just like when we anoint people with oil. It's not the oil that does the trick. It's the Spirit of God moving through the hair. It's that part of that covenant agreement with God. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's one of the most important things we see in this message is the importance of dependence on God and, and mm-hmm. enacting, bringing forth God's work through our lives. Mm-hmm. Powerful. So in number uh, number five... Why does Jesus tell us that we are blessed when we are insulted and persecuted? And in the notes here, it says the two foundations in seven twenty four and twenty nine. So yeah, so yeah, we'll go into the two foundations in just a moment. But but talking about why are we blessed? Why are we blessed when people insult us? Well, there are several reasons we could mention, I'm sure. But one of the biggest things is again that we are not living for the world we're not living for fan fame or or popularity here's the thing we've got to ask ourselves there's a psychological term that's also often used about where we find our identity for some people some people find the locus of their identity which means the focal point of their identity and what other people think of them um I, I'm, I don't like people to be mad at me. I don't like people to be upset at me. Sure. I, I'm a peace-loving person. I get nervous and up, you know, uh, and agitated when there's a lot of conflict and going on. Sure. I don't like that. But if you try to live to please everybody else, you're going to find that you please no one, mm-hmm. <laughs> if we're just honest. Right. Because right. Pe- people in general, we're, we're very fickle individuals what we what we like one day we may not like the next uh, it's like onions i used to love onions but i can't stand onions anymore not because i don't like the taste but i don't like what they do to my digestive system so so if we live for the fanfare if we live for popular opinion then we're really not going to accomplish anything because we're always going to be tossed aside by the winds of change and the winds of popular opinion so Jesus, however, shows that the locus of identity can't be found in popular opinion. It really can't even be found in our jobs because our jobs can change. We can lose our jobs. The locus of our identity is found needs to be found in God because that's mm-hmm. the consistent, that's the constant. God never changes. So Jesus' words show us that persecution is typical uh because if you stand for righteousness, if you stand for what's right, you stand for what's true, then people who are living in a wicked fashion or people who are opposing the truth for whatever reason, they're not going to like you for that. Not because they don't like Mm -hmm. you personally, but they don't like what you're standing for because it exposes something in their life in their lives, yeah. That they're doing wrong and they know it. That's why John says, uh, I think Jesus maybe even says this too, that that people love darkness rather than light. People don't like the light because the light exposes their own sin, exposes their, their own, own deeds. Exactly, their own deeds. So people do everything possible to stay in the dark to avoid the light because they don't want their bad deeds exposed. 
But as believers, we know that God knows everything already. So we bring right. our deeds to the light because of God's revelation for forgiveness and repentance and transformation. And so the mindset is completely different between the two formats. Mm-hmm. And so so you think about how this affected people in in the time that Jesus was saying this and and go back to even, you know, like, for example, even the the Epicureans and, and those in Mars Hill and you just kinda keep going back and keep keep digging through that whole culture of what that actually because you think about it how prideful that culture was in in their thinking of of you know who they are and what they are mm-hmm. and and how they persecuted people you know that may not have been at that same level, and, and I think that's that's these teachings just kind of flew in the face of those kind of that kind of stuff. And I think it flies in the face of us even today. I think that's why you know, I had a friend of mine who was on this podcast before, who preached a series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount, and he was excused from his position as pastor for it because mm. Jesus's words are just as controversial for us today as they were in the first century, because we're challenged also today to ask, what do we hold most important in our lives? Sure. You know, are, yeah. we, are we holding on to something that's not, that's going to fade, or are we holding on to something that's eternal? And that's mm-hmm. why Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Mm-hmm. All right. Kind of like the rich young ruler Jesus confronted that that part in him where he was holding his or valuing his riches. Of course, in that time period, the the teachings and the and the things were that because you're rich, you've been blessed by God. And so he's he's a, he's got a completely different mindset. He's coming from this at a different way. He's like, I'm doing everything that 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 is within the law, and I've done everything. I've done, I've kept all the commandments and that's why I'm blessed. So what do I got to do? And then Jesus comes and confronts that very point. Get get rid of everything and then turn and follow me. He's like, "Well, yeah. wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense." And and notice also something that goes on with the way he words that. Cuz cuz the mm-hmm. teacher and ruler says, "What good thing or good teacher, what good thing should should I do?" And so Jesus asked him the question, why do you call me good? Are right. you Because you, only, there's only one good person, that's God. Are you calling me good because you recognize that I am Yahweh come in flesh? Or are you mm-hmm. are you just trying to say good teacher to butter me up? <laughs> mm-hmm. How are right. you coming that, to me? Exactly. Yeah. And so... That's there's another uh, there's another verse right there that that when people say Jesus never claimed to be God, <laughs> right there it is. Yeah. There's another one because so, he's challenging yeah. the he's challenging his assessment. What do you mean by calling me good? You know, what mm-hmm. do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, man, he's already using the tactics. How he he used he used tactics before Greg Coker was ever even around. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. <laughs> yeah, that's some great stuff there. So let's get into the two foundations. So let me pull this up real uh, quick. This is yeah. chapter seven. Yep. Yeah, towards the end, twenty-four through twenty-nine. So why why is the last bookend called the two foundations? So Jesus builds this picture, and that's the wonderful thing about the teachings of Jesus. I think that's why they were so easy to to remember. Um, because we can remember them today. I mean, because they're real practical word pictures that he gives sure. us. Yeah. Um, stories. I mean, people are easy. Stories are easy to remember. It's like a, it's like with even messages. That's why I use illustrations because illustrations are often like the the chorus of a song. I, I gave an illustration once before in a message about how I lost a wheel off my lawnmower and almost wrecked it. And so some people yeah. even tell me, "says I want to hear that lawnmower message again." <laughs> Wreck the lawnmower or wrecked your lawn? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I lost the wheel, and so the lawnmower became a 
it became a witch ditch after that. Started digging the prettiest <laughs> trench you'll ever see. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, so that's Jesus great. builds this word picture about uh, an individual building their house. Uh, one person builds the house on solid foundation. The other person builds it on sand. Uh, and when the rains come, the rains fall, the rivers rose, the winds blow, pound the house, one collapses, and the other one stands. The one built on the strong foundation stands, withstands the storm, whereas the one built on sand collapses and falls. So Jesus is using this as a bookend to say, all the teachings I've given you, choose which foundation you're going to build on. Are you going to build on the kingdom of God and his standards? The blessed, the Macarios, yeah, yeah. Or are you gonna ble- are you gonna build on, on on the blessing of curses, the blessing of the world, uh, which aren't really blesses, uh, they're, they're curses in in actuality. Yeah, the woes, the woes, and so yeah. that's the question: which which standard or which foundation are you going to build on? And so. Um, this is a question we have to ask ourselves today. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is just as pertinent today as it was even back then. Um, right. So, so this kind of flies here. Here, here's you were saying. You know, flies in the face of of culture today. Here's another one that flies in the face of culture today. When when we're being told there's we can't have any binary thinking there there is no such thing as a binary thing anymore when jesus clearly teaches there's either blessing or cursing there's either right or wrong there's either you know solid ground or sand that we build our house on well even binary thinking itself fails because you either have binary thinking or you don't have binary thinking so, yeah no kidding so so even yeah. saying there's no binary exactly. thinking you already set up a binary format right right yeah yeah so let's see here so why does jesus compare kingdom living to building a house so this is interesting because jesus becomes the cornerstone he's a chief cornerstone he he is that firm foundation and if you Mm -hmm. build your stone on the cornerstone of christ you're building on a firm foundation made of the of solid rock and that means that whenever the storms of life come your way you're going to be able to withstand. You're going to be able to maintain. You're going to be able to persevere. That's what Dr. Morrison always tells. He has one of the, he has the mm-hmm. toughest class in the entire program. Uh, we read bibliology. Bibliology. Oh my gosh! But you know what? Honestly, <laughs> as tough as it was, it was one of the best classes because the way. So, so there's 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 one of Jesus's principles right there. Exactly. You're, you're blessed because you're going through a rough, rough one. It was a very rough class, it, no doubt about that. It, it lived up to, the, very few things live up to the hype. That lived up to the hype and then some. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but through that, we learned how to build a firm foundation on how to interpret passages, whether it be in the Bible or whatever the case may be. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He, Dr. Morrison says, persevere, brethren. That's what he always says. Jesus is telling us if you build on the firm foundation of Christ, you build on the firm foundation of God and his kingdom, you can make it through anything life throws your way. Hmm. Yeah. Now, the yes. opposite is also true because right. Old Testament writers, Jesus is bringing the Old Testament here, Old Testament writers describes God's wrath using the image of a great storm. For instance, Isaiah 28, 16, 17. It says, Therefore the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. And I will make justice the measuring line and his righteousness the mason's level. Hell will sweep away the false refuge and water will flood your hiding place. So Jesus is actually bringing up a picture referencing back into Isaiah 28, 16, and 17. Ezekiel 13, 10-13 says something similar. He says, Since they have led my people astray by saying peace when there is no peace, and since there is a flimsy wall being built, they plaster it with whitewash. Jesus called some of the Pharisees whitewashed White tombs. Therefore, tell those plastering it with whitewash that it will fall. Torrential rain will come, and I will send hailstones plunging down, and a whirlwind with a tornado will be released. 
When the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, Where's the whitewashed you plastered on it? So this is what the Lord God says, I will release a whirlwind in my wrath, torrential rain will come in my anger. Again, when the judgment of God comes, the people of God will be left standing because the judgment of God's not intended for us. Right. We've got that firm foundation, whereas a person who builds on a wrong foundation will be washed away. Yeah. That night, George. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does Matthew indicate uh, by Jesus teaching with authority? Jesus, he amazes the crowds with authority that, that he, he's not... Um, first century Jewish teachers often appealed to the authority of their rabbinic predecessors. They would say, I say this according to the authority of Rabbi so-and-so, who said that according to the, rab- the authority of Rabbi so-and-so. They appeal to another rabbinic authority. Jesus is teaching from Scripture and proclaiming God's message, not from a previous rabbi, but from his own authority given to him. Now, here's something that's critically important. This is something that Isaiah 53 tells us, and it's something that we see very clearly. This is what makes the resurrection so important, because the resurrection vindicates every single message that Jesus taught. It vindicates every miracle that he performed. And so Jesus proclaims this authority by his teaching, but it's vindicated and verified by the resurrection that happens on the third day. Final final stamp. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I I remember Lynn teaching on on some of this, um, talking about, you know, the the Pharisees come to him and, and basically question him. Where do you get your authority? And he and he's saying in there, with with that question is that would be exactly what you were talking about. Is they get their authority from from who they were taught by, mm-hmm. and and Jesus says, my authority does not. My authority comes from 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 my Father from heaven, and uh, and so they're coming at him saying, how are you able to rewrite? the teachings that we all understood for centuries and forever. And now who are you to come in and rewrite that and and change the way we understand it? Absolutely. And I think we see that oftentimes in in the modern church because, I mean, I don't mean to be crass, I don't mean to be rude, but sometimes people will, (laughs) they'll have their grandma will tell them something that that, that they'll Mm -hmm. say, well, holiness is next to godliness. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. You know, it doesn't really say that. I think Benjamin Franklin said that, if I'm not mistaken. But you, know, a grandparent or someone will, will give us this this teaching, and we'll we'll hold it with great authority. But if it doesn't cohere to what Jesus Himself said, then right. Grandma was wrong. <laughs> right, right. It's kind of like the Waterboy yeah. movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so, don't so like but, foosball. You don't fuck <laughs> foosball's the devil. <laughs> oh my goodness! So don't this is the started. this is I, the challenge. It's all over. <laughs> so this is the challenge we find. You know, are we building on the foundation of God, or are we building on the foundation or another foundation of some sorts? Right. So, what can we take from the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount, and how do they set the stage for the remainder of the messages? We kind of like, you know, we're like eating the crust all the way around the the main part of the sandwich here. Exactly. This this gives us, so so the Beatitudes are telling us, it's giving us a summary of the message to come. Um, It's it's telling us the focus needs to be on a God-centered life. The foundation, the two foundations are telling us what comes about by living a God-centered life. It's building on the foundation, firm foundation as opposed to what happens when we build on a flimsy foundation of the world, uh, one that's washed away, a foundation that doesn't last. So as we go through this message, as we talk about these different things, and he's going to challenge us very much mm-hmm. so on several different aspects, anger, of, of, of lust, of marriage, and several other different issues, as he challenges us in these, these areas, we have to ask ourselves a question. Which foundation foundation are we building upon? Are we building upon the foundation of God? Are we building upon a foundation 
of humanity or the world, mm-hmm. or, or you can add a hundred other different things in that. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, and, and I guess as we approach that coming in, um, you know, thinking about the the things that we're going to be challenged by, it's going to be the same thing as we as we always talk about is a is a biblical picture when we're reading the scriptures do we do we read the scriptures interpreting them and changing them to what we want or do we allow the scriptures in the bible to change us and change our heart and that's going to be the same thing we see as we come through the beatitudes are is jesus's teachings are jesus's teachings going to change us or are we going to change them to fit what we want them do that's a pivotal question and that's a question that i think is facing evangelical christianity right now Mm -hmm. i mean we're being torn apart at the seams you know in every different direction by things that are not the cornerstone of our faith sure you know and let's be honest i love this nation as much as anyone else i i have family who who fought and, and and risked their lives for this nation but at the end of the day the United States is not going to last forever. The kingdom of God will. So there right. again, we've got to ask ourselves, on which foundation are we building? I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved. I'm not saying all that stuff, as right, I'm often right. accused of saying. That, that's not the case. Right. right. But the question is, what? where is our foundation found? What are we building right. on? And that's something I think that evangelical Christians, if, if we're willing to, to do this, I think we need to have a good, long, hard look about where our foundation is found. Right. And, you know, having a true biblical Christianity understanding of that that God raises the kings and tears down the kings in, in kingdoms. And when we look at that, when we look at what we see today and how we interact with today, we look at that through the lens of the Beatitudes that really starts really coming to the surface and we start seeing, um, you know, the, the, the things of how we interact with the people today. Exactly. I mean, and even people with whom we disagree. Uh, yeah. We're, we're going to learn here, maybe even it was the next week or week after, very soon about what it means to truly love other people. Not people mm-hmm. we agree with, but people with right. whom we don't. What does Jesus tell us about that? And I'm telling you, that's probably one of the most challenging aspects of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Right. Yeah. That's going to be good as we get into it. So, well, thanks, people. We, we enjoy that you've uh, been spending this with us. So we at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending the time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and is a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast, and until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier so your own, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast and BellatorChristi.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. 
Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristi.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question.